So it's a priestly ministry, a personal ministry, a powerful ministry, a preaching ministry, and number five, a purposeful ministry. Paul was intentional in what he did. He wasn't just fly-by-night. He wasn't haphazard in his ministry. He did what he did on purpose. We don't see this in the book of Acts. But I would not be at all surprised to be if we could be transported into a meeting room with Paul and Barnabas before the first missionary journey. I think what we would see is maps laid out. Okay, if we go here, we know that these people don't. And, if we, and then we can go on across over there. There was a plan. There was an intention behind it, a purposeful ministry. Verse 22. For this reason I have often been prevented from coming to you, but now, with no further place for me in these regions... Why? Because he preached the gospel everywhere. And since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. We get so much right in there of exactly what Paul was up to. What he was doing. He wrote this, we know he wrote the letter to the church at Rome, or at least we're pretty sure he wrote from Corinth. At the tail end of his third missionary journey, he's at Corinth, he writes this letter to Rome, some other letters, he's there for a few months, and then he heads on back and he goes to Jerusalem. If you studied through Acts with us, you know what was going on. He systematically worked his way through Asia and Greece. Now he's on his way back to Jerusalem, but his further intention is then to make his way to Rome en route to Spain. I've done all of this, now we've got to go further. We've got to keep pushing out. got to keep preaching the gospel. Did he ever get to Spain? Church tradition says yes. Some say no. I lean toward church tradition for various reasons. I think before he was dragged back to Rome and executed at Rome, that he went to Rome, had his trial went on to Spain and then was pulled back and brought to trial and then executed at that point. But regardless of of what your perspective is on that, note this, the intentionality of his ministry. He's got a plan. He's not haphazard. Let me give a real practical miniature example of that to you. I have had over the years someone say, hey, I want to start a Bible study and we're going to do it on Monday nights at my home and I'm going to have a bunch of people come to this. Cool, what are you going to do? I don't know, we're just going to see what happens. Every time that's been told to me, every time that Bible study is over in about two or three weeks. But if someone says, I'm going to invite some people over and we're going to go through John, invariably, the study continues. When we finish John, what are you going to do now? Well, I think we're going to go through Romans. And the study goes on. Bottom line, if there's not a plan... If there's not an intentionality behind what we're doing, it starts to waffle and waver and life gets in the way and we don't follow. And Paul was a man with a plan. He was intentional. Okay, well, I've had plans to serve God in my life and they've fallen apart. What do I do then? Two things. Number one, as a purposeful minister, be purposeful. Be purposeful in your ministry. There is nothing wrong with having plans, with laying plans, with making preparations to serve God in this way or that way or the other. We would not be in this building if not for plans. Not only that we're drawn up, but intentions. Listen, from day one, we didn't start the first Bible study of the Bridge Christian Fellowship in the Gilmore's living room just to have a Bible study. 
We started with the intention of planting a church. That's why we did it. We moved out into the barn with the intention of growing a church fellowship. We had our sites all around here constantly knocking on doors and looking for land because we knew we needed to have ultimately a place to set down. There's always been an intention that we will be a growing church fellowship and not just a home Bible study. Home Bible studies are wonderful. But there was a plan in place. God had a design for this place and for you and for me. So be purposeful in your ministry, but secondly, be peaceful in His timing. Because you may have all kinds of plans and not see them coming together at all. And you can get really discouraged if you're not at peace with the fact that God is the one who's going to bring it to fruition. You plan it, but let the Lord direct your steps. Let the Lord be your peace. Psalm 31.14, a great verse, As for me, I trust in You, O Lord. I say, You are my God. My times are in Your hand. My plans are mine, and my plans are to serve You, Lord, but my times are in Your hands. Whatever You say. So not only do we have a purposeful ministry, that's number five, but number six is you have a peaceful ministry. A peaceful ministry. And Paul did. For all the upheaval, for all the craziness, for the storms both literal and figurative in Paul's life, he was a man at peace. He wrote in Philippians 4.11, I've learned how to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. (laughs) So do I. In any and every circumstance, he says. In all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And you know a person of faith when the bottom drops out of their life financially and they're fine. This is what God's doing in this season. You know the person of faith when the doctor calls and the news is bad who says, Okay, Lord, so this is what we're doing in this season. He's called us to a faith beyond circumstance. It's what we were talking about when we first started out this evening, a couple hours ago. He calls us to live in a faith that does not, is not determined by what's happening around us, but by the power of the Spirit. He says, I can, and here's the secret, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now I know the King James says, through Christ who gives me strength, and the implication is Jesus is the strengthener. I can do all things through Him. Who was peacefully purposeful in His ministry? Who was the most calmly intentional evangelist the world has ever seen? Jesus was. You read the Gospels, you never see Him hurried. You never see Jesus stressed. The the disciples are freaking out in the boat, on the storm, and Jesus is walking. He's never stressed or sleeping. Nothing stirred him. Nothing freaked him out. He was so calm and intentional. And it was Jesus who said, so don't worry about tomorrow. Matthew 6.34 Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And isn't that true? Every day has enough. Something's going to happen every single day of your life that's a problem. And you'll have to deal with that. Why deal with tomorrow? When you're still in today. 
Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. John 14, 27. You know what that means? That means that you can determine if you're going to be troubled or not. You can decide to be fearful, or you can decide to live in peace. Jesus extends peace. Do you want it? You need to choose to live by it. Jesus' brother James wrote in James 4.14, You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, Instead say, and here's the key to plans and to ministry that's intentional. Instead say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or we will do that. If the Lord wills, as the Lord wills. Whatever you have for me, God, here's the plan. But my peace is, it's up to you. And Paul did that. Paul, one day at a time, even when things went sideways in Jerusalem, after he leaves Corinth, after writing this letter to Rome, and goes to Jerusalem, you remember what happened. If you went through Acts with us, you saw this. He goes to Jerusalem, he goes up to temple to keep a vow and to pay for some vows of some other Jewish believers. And someone there in Jerusalem claims that Paul brought a Gentile beyond the barrier and into the Jewish region of the temple. He didn't, but they claimed it. And so a mob breaks out, and they're about to tear Paul apart until the Romans come in and arrest him, which saved his life. And then he gets thrown into prison. That night, in prison, Acts chapter 23, verse 11, Jesus showed up. And he appears to Paul and he says, Take courage. For as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. So in jail in Jerusalem... Paul knew he was going to Rome. He's going to end up in Rome. How do you, how's he going to get there? I don't know. I mean, he's going to get there. And then, of course, from Jerusalem, he's carted off to Caesarea, out by the sea. And then from Caesarea, he's put on board a boat and shipped off to Rome. Has a shipwreck. The whole ship goes down. He ends up on the island of Melita, shakes it off, gets back on another boat, ends up at Rome. And it's exactly what Jesus said would happen. It took some time. But the purpose of Paul, Spirit-given, was then worked out in Paul as the Spirit made it happen. So be purposeful, that's number five, and peaceful, number six, in the Spirit. Number seven, Paul also had quickly a plentiful ministry. Verse 26. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so. And they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them, that is the Jews, in material things. He had a plentiful ministry. Paul at this point is on his way back to Jerusalem to share the offering that he had taken through all the churches in Asia. He had gone around and collected this, this huge offering of money, and along with it he had collected quite a cadre of, of people traveling with him. You know, because the church of Philippi wanted to make sure their money got to Jerusalem. So they sent a man with them. And each one of the churches would send somebody. So Paul's got this team of people, he's got this wad of cash, and he's heading back to Jerusalem to give it to the church. Why is Paul doing this? Because he wants to see Jews and Gentiles connected. He wants the very Jewish church in Jerusalem to understand all of these Gentile churches are brothers and sisters and love them. So he's taken this collection and he's heading out there. 
And I love the word that he uses here. He's talking about these churches, Macedonia and Achaia, and he says they are pleased. They were pleased to make a contribution. The word in the Greek is eudikeo. It literally means they took pleasure in giving. Do you? Are you pleased to give to the Lord? Or are you one who stands by the box going... Are you pleased? Now someone might say, why why should I give money to a church? I've seen all the scandals. I know that oftentimes the money's not used well. In fact, I saw the van that they bought, and if my money went to that, why should I give to the church? Because, and get this, faith recognizes indebtedness. When you have faith in Jesus, you recognize that you have a debt you will never repay. Well, so I pay money? Look, that's just, that's just a tangible aspect of it. It's actually much bigger than that. But it is part of what makes giving a pleasure. It's because there's no way I'm going to pay God back. So I'm just going to give what I can and praise the Lord in it. I'm going to be pleased to do so. Paul is preaching here a Gentile indebtedness to Israel. And no doubt Paul said this as he went church to church throughout Asia. He went up to people and said, you know, you owe them a debt. Because if not for Israel, you would not know Jesus. So cough up. Dig deep. Open your pocketbooks, bros, because you are indebted to them. And that was the message that he preached. Not so much the coughing up, but the indebtedness. We don't like that. We don't like the idea of being indebted to someone. I don't know, owe anyone anything. I don't like to owe you something. Then you hold it over my head. Well, Paul covers this more in depth in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. But gang, the churches of the nations owed a debt. And so do you. And so do I. If someone has shared the gospel with you, you have a debt. You you can't... What is it worth? What is your salvation worth to you? If right now you had to buy it, what would you sell for your salvation? There's nothing you could, right? You give up everything. It's still not enough. It's the blood of Christ that saves you. But what is it worth to you? How do you pay it back? The debt of love. The debt of love. They were pleased to give to the church in Jerusalem out of love they gave. Because they understood that they owed a debt they could not pay any other way. Paul said in Romans 13.8, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And the issue is not about being debt free. It's about being love bound. I love because there's no other way I can pay this back. So I'm going to love and I'm going to do it with pleasure. Verse 28. Therefore, Paul writes, When I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs... I will go on by way of you to Spain. I love the mentality. The money is fruit. That's the way Paul sees it. That's a right way to see finances in a church. It's fruit. It, it, it provides for fruitfulness. It provides for, for a church fellowship to do more than, than what we can do beyond four walls. It's fruit. And he goes on in verse 29 and says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How did Paul come to Rome? In chains. That's the fullness of the blessing of Christ? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, because as Paul arrived, first of all, he arrived just as Jesus promised he would. That must have been cool. You know, have Jesus tell you something, and then you go to prison for two years, and then you get in a shipwreck, and finally you, and as you're walking into Rome, you're thinking, Jesus said I was going to be here. He was right. Again. So the blessing was already there. But then as Paul comes there, man, he knows that he's going to go onward to Spain. See, that's part of the deal. I'm planning to go to Spain, and I'm in Rome now. So if I'm in Rome now, I'm going to be in Spain then. And by the way, I I do lean toward the fact that I think he went to Spain. I think he took the gospel that far and on up into Europe before being dragged back to Rome. Why? Because Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. I finished the course. What course? The course that Paul set out in the beginning. To go to Spain. To do the whole thing. He had the plan. And he wanted to do it. And he, at least to Timothy, now I understand maybe he was just saying, I've just finished what God had intended for me and I never got to Spain. But I kind of think Paul went to Spain. He finished all that he had purposed to do in the Lord. What I'm saying is that the plan was seen all the way through by Jesus and it will be with you too. You can bank on this. That He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Which means that every day that is laid out before you is part of the plan. And you are going to finish the course. Just keep the faith. Walk in Jesus. You're going to get there. One last adjective to describe Paul's ministry. And this is the one that made all the difference in the world. Number eight. A prayerful ministry. A prayerful ministry. Verse 30. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Man, if you're going to strive, strive in prayer. If you're going to strain, strain in intercession. And don't strain with the worries of life. But strive in prayer, as Paul says. You know, Paul wrote prayers. In fact, this whole section reads like a prayer. He spoke prayers. He prayed in the Spirit. And what I love about Paul, and we should learn this, fellow ministers, Paul had no problem whatsoever asking for prayer. He asks for people to pray for him all the time. He does it right here. Strive together with me in your prayers to God for what? For me. Church at Rome, I need you praying for me, guys. I need your prayers. There's another mentality. The mentality we have about the power of the Spirit and the mentality that we have toward prayer, and it's interesting because those two are are intimately connected. But we have this wrong mentality that prayer is some kind of kind gesture. That if you're praying for me, oh, that's nice. Les prayed for me today. I didn't ask him to, but that was nice. (laughs) Prayer is not a kind gesture. It's not like saying God bless you to someone when they sneeze. That's you. Oh, he prayed for me. That was so nice. No. And it's not a spiritual way of saying, hey, keep me in mind. That's how our culture uses it. Hey, I was praying for you. No, you weren't. You just thought about me today. But did you actually pray for me? Did you actually stop and lift up my name to God in prayer and say, Father, I I ask that you will be with with Rick and help him through this situation. Whatever, you know. That prayer is so it's prayer is seeking supernatural intervention into the natural world. That's what prayer is. Prayer is going to an awesome supernatural God and saying, I need the power that only you have. 
And I'm asking you to do what I cannot do. I know I can't do it. I'm weak. But you are strong. So I'm appealing to you, Father. I'm coming to you, Holy Spirit. I'm begging you, Jesus, to extend yourself into this world. To go way beyond me. That's prayer. And so I need to ask you if I'm going to be have any integrity in this teaching, I've got to ask you to pray for me. Please pray for me. As, as a pastor here at the bridge, Les and I were talking today just about a situation. Situations come up all the time. And we're talking and we often realize this, man, we are so stupid. We don't have the wisdom. You find yourself in some kind of a situation going on, you say, I don't know what to do. What do I do? I pray. And I would ask that you pray for me and that you pray for less and that you pray for our ministry staff. Because there's stuff going on here every day we don't have the wisdom to deal with. Pray that I have grace and that I don't just trample on people trying to get something done. And I'll tell you one other thing I really do want to ask for prayer for. Pray that I have strength to keep this fellowship simple. Because the longer we go, the more people want to add stuff. And some of it's great, and there are good things. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do more things than we're doing. But to get beyond the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the apostles' teaching, and prayer. That's why we're here. That's it. Anything else that we do is icing on the cake. That's the cake. That's our purpose. And, and I, I got to tell you, I never thought it would be so hard to keep it that simple. Doesn't simplicity sound like an easy thing? Huh? Not in church fellowship. No, it's hard to keep it simple. Pray that I keep it simple. Pray that we as a fellowship remain simple before the Lord. Join with me. And praying constantly for our fellowship to be empowered with the preaching of the gospel. Pray that this is a place where God knows people are going to get saved, so He's going to send them here. Pray for workers to be sent into the harvest. Pray, pray, pray. We need a boiler room like Charles Spurgeon. We we're talking about this today. We need a boiler room. Remember that story about how Spurgeon took some visitors down and said, Want to see our boiler room? And they're like, What's that? Yeah, I guess. It's your boiler. Big deal. Takes them down. There's five to seven hundred people praying for that day's service. Do you know what would happen here? If we had 50 people who committed every Sunday to come to a service and then spend the next service just praying for the service? That would be awesome. We would see literally the roof get blown off this place if we had that kind of prayerful faith. Notice what Paul's asking them to pray. Again, verse 31. I know we're over time. I don't apologize. Verse 31. He says, Pray that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. Man, pray for my rescue. Pray for my rescue. Why? Why does Paul ask that? Because he knew he was heading into trouble. Because everywhere he had been in Asia, he had been prophesied over that he was going to be bound. And even when he arrives in Caesarea, Agabus comes down, the prophet, and says, takes Paul's belt and says, the owner of this belt is going to be bound like this. Binds himself up. Paul knows he is heading into a disastrous area, so he says, pray for my rescue. I love that he doesn't say, pray for my protection. 
Pray for my safety. No. He says, pray for my rescue. Why? Because I've got to get to Rome. So Roman church, pray for my rescue when I go to Jerusalem so that I can get to you. That's what he's asking. And remember this, once in Rome, under house arrest, Paul wrote the letter to the church at Philippi. And he said, Philippians 1.18, What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers. And the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Why is Paul praying that in Rome? Because he's looking to Spain. He wants to go on to Spain. He's got to get out from house arrest so that he can continue on. So he writes to Philippi and says, pray for my deliverance from here so I can keep going. Pray for deliverance. I love it. He goes on and he says, and pray that that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. What do you mean, Paul? He wants the saints in Jerusalem to accept the gift. Pray that they will. Why wouldn't they? Because they are very Jewish and this is a very Gentile gift. Pray that this would cross over and be received in the manner intended. And by the way, that's a great thing to pray while you're giving. When you're in the midst of making an offering or a tithe, say, Lord, may this offering be acceptable in the ministry of this body. Lord, take what I'm giving and use it to your glory. It's an easier way, by the way, to let go of the check or the cash when you're praying at the same time. (laughs) Verse 31, he continues on. Verse 32, actually. He says, And pray so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find rest in your company. Now, your translation may say, refreshing rest. Well, that's because of the word. It's sunanapaomai. It's a great word. Sounds like something Batman would do. You know? <laughs> sunanapaomai. But the word, what it means, is mutual rest. It's mutual refreshment. Paul's saying, here's what I want you to pray finally. Pray that I come to you and together we're refreshed by it. Pray that that happens. I realized in reading this that one of the most refreshing places that I can go is corporate prayer. I don't know if you sense that tonight, but I know when I sit down with our shepherds, and I love this, when we sit down, we always start our meetings in prayer, not just one guy opening the meeting. We just pray for a while. We'll take 45 minutes, an hour sometimes, and just pray. And I just, our staff meetings, same thing. We open every staff meeting, we start by praying, and sometimes we'll go an hour. And I'll sit up there, and I did this this morning, and I just find myself settling into the chair. And I feel so at peace, and so at rest, and I don't go to sleep. Now, when I purpose to pray all by myself, oh, Lord, it's so good to be. Which is why I tend to pray out loud when I'm by myself so I can keep myself awake. You know? But it's, it's such a different dynamic. When I'm in the fellowship of brothers and sisters and we start to pray, I find this place of peace and refreshment. And it's amazing. And here Paul says, and this is funny to me because church can wear you out, but Paul says, I can't wait to be with you so that we can be refreshed in, in presence together. And by the way, note this, every single thing Paul asked them to pray for here, everything was fulfilled. Everything took place. Everything happened. In Judea, he delivered the money. And he himself was delivered from the mob. 
And two years later, he indeed experienced this refreshing rest that he asked them to pray for. Listen to this. Luke writes in Acts 28.14, Thus we came to Rome, and the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Appius and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and he took courage. Just in their presence. Here are all the saints coming to greet Paul in chains being dragged into Rome. He sees the church and he goes, Ah! I'm refreshed. And so their prayers were answered. Check the boxes every single prayer. Now, maybe not exactly as expected, but God fulfilled every answer to every prayer. Paul's ministry. You see what I'm talking about here? It was exemplary. It was a great example of a ministry life of an average person living for Jesus. Just do what Paul did. A priestly ministry, a personal ministry, a powerful ministry, a preaching ministry, a purposeful, peaceful, plentiful ministry, and ultimately it was all because Paul's was a prayerful ministry. Pretty simple. And verse 33 says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's stand up together. Father, we stand before you now. And I confess, Lord, a few of the things that we talked about tonight freak me out. And I confess, Lord, that when I look at this, at this list of, of, that defines and describes Paul's ministry, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I fall woefully short. I know many of us do. We might even say, Lord, I'm, I'm great in this area, but boy, over here, not so much. I just ask, Lord, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, that You will lead us on into this kind of ministry. Amen. That every life here tonight, because You're talking to us, that every one of us would enter into ministry. And if we don't know what that means, Lord, would You put a burden on our hearts to keep asking You, what does this mean? What does this mean? Show me my ministry, Lord. Show me how I'm to present my gospel. Lead me, Father. Show me these things. Empower me. Give me your purpose. Father, give me your peace. Make me your priest. Lord, may we be a people who bring it to you because you are the one who will empower us to this priestly high calling. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. I pray now that you will cause us to wrestle with these things and rest in them at the same time. In the name of Jesus, Amen.